Hello, I'm Gwenna Lathland, and this is the Mama Cusses Podcast, the podcast dedicated to all the cussable moments in parenting. Disclaimer, the Mama Cusses Podcast may have curse words, profanity, or adult topics. Okay, it will definitely have those things. If you have sensitive littles listening with you, now might be the time to pop on those headphones or go hide in the bathroom with your grown-up juice. Today's episode is brought to you by The Coldest Water. The Coldest Water Bottle was invented by a team of engineers set on waging war against our common enemy, heat. The Coldest Water Bottle keeps your drink cold for up to 36 hours. With the true double stainless steel wall, it is engineered like no other. The Coldest Water Bottles are BPA-free, sweat-proof, and odor-resistant. Named Best Water Bottle of the Year by Men's Health, Mashable, Forbes, and Business Insider, it's the bottle you've been looking for. You can check it out at thecoldestwater.com. Enter promo code GWENA for 10% off your order. That's thecoldestwater.com and promo code GWENA. All right, let's get this shit going. Today, I have a fantastic guest with me. We are talking to Crystal Hardstaff. She is the creator of The Gentle Counselor and creates online resources to support the mental health of parents and children. And I think this is one of those fields of discussion that everyone wants to have but is terrified because parents and moms are not allowed to confess that they have mental health issues or that they are struggling. We're just supposed to suck it up and move on out. And Crystal has some different thoughts on it. Crystal, how are you? Hi, Gwenna. I'm good. Thank you so much for having me as a guest on your podcast today. Yes, I am very excited. Uh, when we were connecting prior to recording, I was like, yes, yes, this is going, this is going to be the episode. All right. <laughs> and I was excited because I've been following you on TikTok for so long, enjoying every <laughs> piece of content that you've been sharing and basically stalking you. So now I'm having to like calm myself down and realizing that I'm actually talking to you. It must be so funny to you because we all must feel like we know you and you have no idea who any of us are. <laughs> you, that, you know, that's that's my life. I've been in enough public facing positions. And I, yeah, everyone's like, you're the girl who did the thing. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I'm just awkward, so it doesn't help. Yes, and we're awkward too. So we're just two awkward people talking to each other. <laughs> yes, this should be a not awkward at all podcast episode. All right. <laughs> it's going to be brutally honest. <laughs> okay, so tell me about The Gentle Counselor. What is it and how did you get started in that? So I started The Gentle Counselor uh, once I had finished my master's in education uh, because I'm currently working as a school counselor. And in my own motherhood journey, you know, I have two little ones. I have a two-year-old and a four-year-old and I struggled with postpartum depression and anxiety and it yeah. kind of stemmed from my experience through my own mental health struggles because I've also had depression since I was 14 years old mm -hmm. and just realizing the absolute lack of support that we have because a lot of the focus is on what's 
best for our children and our babies. You know, we have all those appointments when you're pregnant, you have all the checkups for baby afterwards, but at no point is there really a true time for mothers to have a safe space or support and, you know, real proper adequate support for our mental health and well-being. And so basically I went on my own healing journey and I'm still on it. You know, I'm not perfect. It's a lifelong process, but I just felt that extra call to then further my studies to become a psychologist one day. And so then I created the gentle counselor as my way to connect now and help mothers um, because I follow a gentle or attachment parenting style Mm-hmm. And that's something I'm really passionate about. But again, that's something that really focuses on the needs of our children and what's best for mm-hmm. them. And so the way I like to work is holistically where I believe there's a way to both meet the needs of your child and, of course, raise them to have a secure attachment, all those important things that they need, but also right. paying respect to the fact that we as mothers also need to meet our own needs and we're just as important. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, especially in quarantine, I know a lot of moms who are struggling with being touched out, like someone is always touching them. And when you're following a gentle attachment uh, parenting style that you're, you're supposed to encourage that that's healthy. You want them to be able to feel that they can come up and give a hug, a touch, a caress at any point. But when you've been around them for seven months straight, you love them dearly, but dear God, please don't touch me anymore. You're so right. And, you know, that's also even a misconception. You don't have to be physically attached 24-7 to your child and you can still be an attachment or gentle parent. Right. Yeah. Okay. So tell me more about... Let, let's go through the basics. Let's let's assume here that we've got a new mom listening who's like, gentle parenting, what is that? Fix some of those misconceptions that we tend to carry around about what attachment parenting is, and then we'll kind of dive into how to do that and still remain sane as an adult human. <laughs> That's a really good question to cover, actually. Okay, so some of the misconceptions is, like I mentioned before, it doesn't mean that you're physically attached to your child 24-7. It also doesn't mean that you're a permissive parent where you let them get away with everything. You know, being an attachment or a gentle parent still means that you can have healthy boundaries. And that's really important in a relationship. You know, it's a two-way street. You're not supposed to succumb to every want and need and desire of your child. The Mm -hmm. thing that we try to educate people about is more so the needs. And so when we're talking about needs, it's more than the basics of food, water, shelter. We're right. also understanding that all of us, you know, children and adults, we have emotional needs, mental needs, psychological needs for us to really be thriving as humans. Right. And our first experience of having a safe relationship is with our primary caregiver. So typically that's the mum, but you know, it's both parents. And so it's really important to develop that secure attachment from when they're newborns. Yeah. Okay. So with, with gentle parenting, it's really how you communicate. We're, we're all communicating the same thing, whether we take that kind of hard line that a lot of us grew up with of the, because I said so, Versus attachment parenting, which really kind of grants emotional autonomy to our spawn. Is that is that an accurate way to say it? Yeah, that's a really good way to put it. So the simplest way I like to explain it is you're just respecting the fact that your child has 
emotions and they have emotional needs and they're totally allowed to express that because often, like you said, when we've got this more old school way of thinking that a lot of us grew up with when, you know, with our parents where children were expected to just be seen, not heard, or you were told to stop crying, get over it, suck it up. That's very Mm -hmm. dismissive. And Mm -hmm. when you really think about that, you wouldn't speak to anyone else that way. You wouldn't speak to your spouse that way. You wouldn't speak to a friend. You wouldn't even speak to a stranger that way. And, you know, when it comes to things like smacking, for example, people don't hit their animals. You get into trouble for that. So I like to talk about it in that way, like sort of think about how are you treating yourself and others in your life? What is and isn't acceptable So Mm -hmm. why do we think that it's okay to treat children as lesser than? Because that doesn't really make much sense. They're vulnerable. They really need us to be that safe person for them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I just, I, I, I sometimes worry about the boundaries that I create with my audience versus what, how I actually parent my kids. I posted a TikTok today that was kind of making fun of a, a child misbehaving to me and then what my perceived reaction was going to be because my child misbehaved. And a lot of discussion erupted in the comments of, oh, what are you going to do? Spank your child? Actually, no. Um, mm. Because if I react in anger, all I'm doing is showing them anger is an appropriate response to react to every negative situation. And sometimes anger is absolutely great. We need to be angry about some stuff. But maybe the explosive, volatile, self-injurious or hurting other things or property is not the best way. So if I lash out to an explosive emotional reaction with an explosive emotional reaction, all I'm doing is reinforcing this behavior that I don't actually want in the first place. Yeah. And you know what? I did see that video and I laughed. I understood (laughs) the joke of it. um, And it's funny you mentioned that because I even had something similar happen to me recently where I made a TikTok about spending 10 minutes of quality time with your children And I have Mm -hmm. all these people in my comments um, saying that that's horrible. Why would you only spend that much amount of time? And I'm sitting here going, this is a 15 second TikTok video. And I didn't say ignore your child for the other 23 hours and 50 minutes of the day. (laughs) And then I was thinking, you're so privileged to think that way. What about parents that are working full time or people that are co-parenting that might literally only have a couple of minutes with their kids? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I do sometimes wonder if my jokes always come off as jokes. And for those that don't get the punchline, like how shitty a parent must they think I am? (laughs) (laughs) But you know, and humor is our coping mechanism. I'm not going to sit here and pretend like my husband and I have beautiful conversations about our children. I love it when he's home so that we can have moments where we give each other a look or we just have that brief moment where you just have to like have a little bit of a tantrum to each other and let out some of that frustration because parenting is really hard. It's hard. It is. It is. Okay. So let's, let's shift gear here a little bit. So I, I got to have a mixed bag of experience. So I've had two pregnancies, which resulted in three children. And with my first, I slammed into the wall of postpartum depression and anxiety. Mm -hmm. Just that whole big knot of shit-tastic experience that Mm -hmm. was, it felt never ending. And I, I actually, I hate that we clinically call it postpartum because they stop considering your body postpartum 
around a year-ish. But the anxiety and the depression and the recovery from that can take years, years to You're get over. Right. It. Yeah. And then my my second pregnancy, I my hormones or my environment or my support network, I don't know, but I didn't get any of it. So I was able to look at at both sides of it, but let's discuss postpartum depression and anxiety. And I'm going to start by saying it's fucking normal. It doesn't make you bad, failing, resentful or you know, you shouldn't regret anything. You haven't done anything wrong because your brain's like, mm, all those things you need to worry about, let's make it worse. <laughs> and let's add in a bunch of hormones to really like mess up your entire body and brain. Right, right. right. So it, if you have struggled, are struggling, believe you will struggle as you're expecting another spawn sometime soon, it's okay. You are completely normal. That's okay. But And I think it's really important to touch on what you said before. And postpartum depression can actually happen anytime during the two years from giving birth. So you could be fine for that entire first year or so, and then it can still hit you later. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. I've, I've heard of a couple people who were like, oh, yeah, no, the first year was fine. I got to their first birthday, and all of a sudden, all I could think of was the 80 million ways my kid could die and the no way things that I could do about it. Yeah, I do think that the anxiety part is almost worse because those intrusive thoughts are full on. And I remember when I started sharing them out loud with my husband, and I still experience it now, and my son is uh, just over two. And Mm -hmm. he's like, why would you even tell me that? He's like, I don't want to be thinking about that. I'm like, this is what my brain is telling me. It's telling me every time I watch you drive off in the car with them that you're all going to die. And I've literally stood there saying goodbye to them crying because it has that deep of an effect on you. It's so good at tricking you into this story that makes you believe it's true. So my daughter, my eldest daughter was five years old. The first time I put gas in my vehicle with her in the car, because I had this overwhelming behavior modifying intrusive anxiety ridden thought that if I put the nozzle into the spout of my car and pumped the gas, the whole thing was going to go up in this Michael Bay-esque explosion. And I was going to watch my daughter burn to a crisp in front of me. It's so sad. Like it is. What a it's, horrible it's, way to think and feel. It is. But for five years, I could not. Like I would have to leave her with a babysitter or a friend, or make sure that I went before or after. You know, daycare drop off or pickup. Like I just. And what's worse, and I think this is true for a lot of people, especially when you've been coping with postpartum for a while, you are aware that it is fucking ridiculous, Mm. but it doesn't stop it from happening. No, because that's what happens when you have anxiety, right? It sets off that fight, flight, freeze response. You're sensing a a danger that isn't Mm -hmm. there because, you know, we're not being chased by tigers really anymore. We have (laughs) other stresses around us. Like, you know, this petrol could, it could blow up the car. Like that's something that's like a (laughs) 0.000001% happening, but it could. And so that's what your body holds onto. And you have those exact same uh, physiological responses. Like it would be the same if a tiger was chasing you. Yeah. Do you have, I, I I don't want to infer anything, but do you have any words of advice or just, I don't want to say quick 
tips because there, when it comes to mental health, there's almost nothing quick. But what are some steps moms can take, especially when they get to the point that they realize this is stupid, irrational, and nothing but my brain freaking out? What are some steps that moms and dads can start to take to overcome that that anxiety, that depression that surrounds maintaining tiny people? I think it's really important if you're suffering to the extent that is actually affecting your daily life. Like, for example, when we're talking about postpartum depression and anxiety, it mm-hmm. it really is important that you seek professional help. So yeah. I'm not sure if the U.S., works exactly the same as it is for us in Australia, but generally you go to your like general um, practitioner, like your doctor, Mm -hmm. and they can do like a brief assessment, which is basically like a depression or anxiety scale. They'll ask you a few questions and that will indicate whether you can be diagnosed with having that. And then they'll refer you or you can refer to yourself to a psychologist. And so when you're looking for someone in that field, make sure that they list their specialization or call them and ask them if they have experience with mother, you know, maternal mental health, um, postpartum depression, anxiety. And the other one I like to recommend is if they have an understanding of attachment theory so that they can help you with that side of things as well. And so other than that, it's really just so important to have those conversations around you and to be educated about it beforehand. So, you know, for our partners, our husbands to be educated about the signs of postpartum depression and anxiety. They need to be looking out for you having those depressed or low moods, if you're having mood swings, if you can't stop crying, because it's not the, you know, the baby blues. That's like within the first two weeks of giving birth. This happens after. If you're having trouble bonding with your baby, there's nothing wrong with you. And, you know, lack of Mm -hmm. sleep, there's so many things that are attributed to this it's such a wild ride being a parent and so then on your personal level yeah yeah, especially that first start out um but really the then the more practical side of it is self-care and I'm not talking about going and spending money on a massage every week I'm talking about really taking care of yourself. That's what self-care is. It's placing importance on your own well-being and happiness because it's sort of like that analogy of, you know, the planes with the oxygen mask. You have to put yours on first to be able to take care of anyone else. Yeah. All right. We are going to come back and talk a little bit more about what makes self-care versus basic survival here in just a bit. But we need to take a break to hear from one of the sponsors that keep this show going. So we'll be right back. All right. Today, we're talking with Crystal Hardstaff, the creator of The Gentle Counselor. And before the break, we were talking about postpartum anxiety and depression, a little bit coping. Professional help is really, really important. But you had mentioned before the break, self-care. And I'd like to discuss more about what self-care really, really is. I know that when my twins were born, I self-care when you have infants of any number is really difficult to accomplish. And it's even more difficult that the internet is actually pretty bad at describing what self-care is. Because a lot of times they confuse basic survival things like eating food and bathing yourself of congrats, you did self-care. And 
maybe those things are self-care for you, but most of the time they're not. That's just being human. So what is a good way to determine a self-care routine for a mom? I love how you put it that way because you're right. And what's frustrating for mothers on a different level is that a lot of the times we feel like we need an another person to come in so that we can facilitate self-care activities. And that is an entire mm-hmm. issue in itself. So I even share about how, for example, part of my self-care is I look forward to having a shower at the end of the day. That's not purely for hygiene purposes, though. It's because no one's touching me. I'm in a shower alone. I can be <laughs> alone with my thoughts. I can like enjoy that feeling of warmth. You know, it's like you're saying, it's mm-hmm. going beyond just meeting that basic need but it's necessary to have these things to survive every day like eating a meal and things like that so you're kind of taking it a further step Um, and it doesn't have to be some big or impossible task and you don't have to spend a lot of money you can do this in your everyday life it can be every day multiple times throughout the day it can be made more achievable um, and designed exactly the way that you need it to be So it's little things like if you want to have your coffee, but what does that mean having that coffee? Does it mean you get to sit alone in your room for 10 minutes? Does it mean you can kind of think about some intentions for your day? Perhaps you like to meditate Um, or is it something bigger like going on a holiday? You know, go book yourself a hotel room for the night, just you, Netflix, binge, like sleep. (laughs) That's my dream. I can't wait to do that one day. And it's really just stopping and thinking about what you can do to take care of yourself. So the best analogy I like to use is the cup analogy. So how can you fill your cup so that you're not running on empty all the time? Right. Yeah. When my my twins were born, my husband and I had to make a decision about what to do with my career path. And I say career path and were this a video, you would see my air quotes um, because I didn't really have a career prior to giving birth to twins. I had jobs. I made income, but it wasn't anything that I was particularly passionate about. It was just jobs. So when twins came along and daycare in the US and everywhere else is really fucking expensive, he out-earned me. He had an actual career path. So I stayed home because we couldn't afford daycare for two infants. We can't afford daycare for two toddlers. But one of the things that I quickly determined was a part of my self-care was simply getting dressed like on purpose, even if all it was doing was changing clothes from one set of pajamas to the other set of pajamas. (laughs) But I would get up in the morning and I would put on fresh panties, a new bra, new pair of pants and a shirt every morning. And that just made me feel like okay, the days have all blurred together, but this at least was one point where I can identify this is the start of a new day. And and sometimes this was, I hadn't even officially gone to sleep yet. Getting dressed was the first step of my self-care and I did it every day and it made me feel like one iota human. Yeah. And it's like I was saying, it's not the fact that you got dressed. It's what does that mean? Why does that activity make you feel good? And it's like when you mentioned earlier about how when we're in the thick of this, it feels like this is how it is forever. 
But the reality yeah. is, is that, you know, it's that saying, this too shall pass. It's going to mm-hmm. bloody hurt, but it will pass. <laughs> and so simple things like that reminds you, okay, time is moving forward. Every day is a new day. I'm progressing. And I think something else that is coming up a lot lately is people realizing toxic positivity. Have you heard that term yet? Oh, God, yes. So it's not just about just look at yourself in the mirror and say, I'm going to have a great day. It's not about saying, you know, every day is a new day, Um, you know, feel your best, like you're going to have a great day and just act like everything's fine. Because if you're feeling like crap, you need help and you need support and you need to work through whatever is going on for you. Because I Mm -hmm. think a lot of the times people don't realize that if you have past traumas, for example, and there's no right or wrong way to identify a trauma. Everyone has them. Um, There's no big or small trauma. Everyone's is valid for their experience. And that creeps up in parenting. We get triggered in parenting. You either get triggered by the way your child is behaving. You know, if they're crying, Mm -hmm. you might get triggered to go to them straight away. You might get triggered to want to tell them to stop crying and you want to avoid it. Or you might get triggered in the way that you feel anxious because you feel like you have no idea what you're doing. And the other way that you can get triggered is when your children reach certain ages where something might have happened to you in your childhood, that also triggers that response in you as well. And so if you're not addressing that or stopping and thinking, hmm, what's happening here? I just got really heated. I just got really overwhelmed right now. And if you're Mm -hmm. not participating in that, really important work that we need to do you're going to keep having issues come up really yeah and it affects all other areas of your life as well it's not just to do with you and your child it's your romantic relationship friendships your work relationships well I know I've always said that the the odd ages in my family were always for whatever reason the worst ages like we just had more behavior issues more new issues pop up in my eldest odd years but I can, thinking back now, I can identify her ninth year was probably one of the worst for finding new ways to annoy mom, which is not what she was doing. She was being nine, but in the thick of it, that's a lot what it felt like. But I'm looking back and everybody has past trauma. Part of my past trauma is that my father left the picture when I was nine years old. So it makes complete sense that her ninth year was just a clusterfuck of what the hell is going on? Because my ninth year was a clusterfuck of what the hell is going on. That's so interesting. And (laughs) yeah, I have things that have happened in my family and my kids are still young, but I know I have things that are going to come up for me in the future because, for example... I went to boarding school when I was freshly 12. And so I know Mm -hmm. that when my daughter is going to be that age, I'm probably going to have some other things come up for me because I wasn't parented as a teenager. I was in boarding school. So I'm already like, how am I going to parent a teenager? Because I wasn't even parented. But it's it's just good to kind of be aware of what's happening underneath. And intergenerational trauma comes into this. You know, what we go through, what our you know, grandparents, ancestors have gone through, that's actually like in your DNA. And so when you're, I like to talk about how when you're healing yourself, you're also healing past traumas, but you're Mm -hmm. also healing for the future. You're doing the work so that your children don't have to recover from it like how we have to. 
Oh my gosh, that is a life-changing viewpoint, folks. The more you can drop the stigma of dealing with your own issues, the more you are contributing to the betterment of not just your children, but your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren and generations that you will never see. Yeah. And unfortunately, we've got the hard task because we're the ones having the self-awareness and the realization right now (laughs) that we need to do it. But, you know, you've just got to have that bigger picture in mind of what are the real benefits that are going to come from me doing this important work. And, you know, I know we're talking about self-care, but this really is a part of it. We're not talking about the little things like getting your nails done or washing your hair or going to the movies. We're talking about really taking care of yourself on a deep soul level. Yeah. I was talking to a friend not too long ago who, and we, we talked about this before the break, but I recognized, and I felt guilty about it because I feel like I, I saw it a little too late. I mean, obviously not too late because I was able to say something, but she had a baby about a year after I had mine and her baby was about nine months old when I finally confronted her and said, babe, I love you but I really feel like it might be time to talk to someone because I think you might have postpartum depression. And she looked at me and said, but I don't feel depressed. I was like, yeah, I get it. But depression isn't a feeling. It's a state of existence. Mm. Just because you don't feel sad. And that's what she was saying. She didn't feel sad. But once we sat and discussed, she really was having a lot of that withdrawal, that that detachment from reality where she was keeping herself alive. She was keeping her baby fed, happy, healthy, but she was doing zero percent self-care. And so if she wasn't actively engaging with her children, she was a zombie. Even when she would come over and go through the motions of friendship with me, it, she was just completely absent. And I was like, babe, You need to talk to someone. I'm not a counselor, but I do see that this this is a thing. And this was nine months after her baby was born. Mm. That's amazing that you were able to pick up on it because you're right. There are other. There's such a long list of symptoms, and it includes things like you know that reduced interest or pleasure in activities that they probably used to enjoy. Um, Mm -hmm. And like we were talking about before, feeling like you're worthless or feeling shame and guilt or inadequacy, those are all symptoms as well. Yeah, because we can't just remove ourselves completely from the picture. You know, we still have to be treating ourselves like the individuals we are. You can't just identify as mother. You need to identify as being yourself as well. Motherhood is just an added thing to that. That can bring a lot of joy and love. Of course, none of us are saying that we don't love our children. They're the best gift I've ever had, but they're also teaching us a lot of hard lessons (laughs) and Mm -hmm. some days are a lot harder than others. And mental health isn't something that can just be solved overnight. It's a process. It is. It is. And it's 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 constant. So just like motherhood, the minute you have one thing figured out, you discover four other things that now we get to learn about. Awesome. Exactly. And then we have so many different people telling us different stories, you know, whether Mm -hmm. they're telling you to breast or bottle or sleep train, uh, co-sleep or, you know, disposable cloth go to work don't go to work we get so many stories and everyone has their own individual stuff going on whether it's like financial Mm -hmm. difficulties time difficulties um you might not even have support around you you might not have family or friends perhaps your partner is working away and a lot of times we 
we even lose sight of following that natural instinct that we have. Because a lot mm-hmm. of the times our babies and our children, they tell us what they need, but they yeah. tell us in ways that can be really hard for us to understand because they tell us through crying, for example. They tell us through big Screaming, hitting, yeah. biting. Yeah. <laughs> Those same behaviors that make us want to lash out the same way, they're trying to communicate a valid need or desire. And it's really frustrating. Yeah. And we have to remember that we're the adults. So we are the ones that are capable of recognizing that and it takes a lot of practice you know it takes a lot of conscious choices to mm-hmm. realize okay I'm being triggered he's not trying to make my day horrible he's just having a hard time like I need to think about what's missing right now like what am I not right. understanding what need is being unmet right now that I need to figure out and be there for him right. because I'm the adult like this is my responsibility and I don't want him to grow up to be like me right now getting triggered <laughs> Right. Right. Um, Someone had once told me that timeouts are a multifaceted tool in a parent's toolbox in that sometimes a timeout enables you to send your kid to have an emotion. So in my house, we have the pillow and that's where they can go and safe space. They can be as angry, sad, frustrated, you know, over the top energetic until they can wrangle themselves. And I go sit with them. And if they need to bite the pillow, bite the pillow, kick the pillow, hit the pillow, scream the pillow, I do, whatever you need. This is your safe space to emote. And once you get the worst of it, the, the biggest feels out, then we can maybe work through where those feels came from. And at two, it's pretty much just, okay, you want a hug? Let's wipe the snot off. Okay. There's your Barbie. I love that you I love that you bring time out up though, because you're right. That's a good way that you're using it is to let them go off and, and be able to feel their emotions. Um, yeah. I actually found out the reason that time out became a thing was because of, I don't know what he was like a psychologist or someone was trying to give parents an alternative to smacking. He was trying to get yeah. them to stop hitting their kids. So actually timeouts began for the parent, for us to step away, to calm ourselves down so they even recognize that. There's a second level of timeout in my household where I'm going to set you right here with a toy or a book or a screen or a movie. And I'm going to step in the kitchen and I'm going to take some deep breaths because my emotions are rising too high because your emotions are rising too high. And neither of us is going to communicate anything. And one of us, probably me, is going to do something regretful here in exactly. just a second. And you're better off to go off and take that moment. Yeah. And we like to call it time in um, only because that some people use time out in a way where they like lock their kids in a room. Um, so if you feel better calling it time in, that's when, you know, you're sitting with your child or they're near you and you're yeah. allowing them to express their emotions. That's exactly what you're saying you're doing. And nice. then once they can calm down or if you feel like you need to step in, you just need to acknowledge how they're feeling. They don't know what they're feeling. Their brain is going yeah. crazy. They literally can't hear you or understand you. Um, If you want to understand more about the brain science for anyone listening, then I definitely recommend reading um, The Whole Brain Child by uh, Dr. Dan Siegel. He does a lot of really good work on it. I mean, you can even YouTube. He shares a lot of good stuff. And so he talks a lot about how they just cannot calm themselves down. That's why co-regulation is so important. So we have to Mm -hmm. be there with them. And they can Mm -hmm. only listen once they're calmed down. Right. 
Right. Yeah. I, I had, I had read whole brain, so I didn't come up with this all by myself. <laughs> I had read whole brain. That's the, Sorry. That's, am I pulling you out a bit? <laughs> no, 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 no. I need, I need to be better about citing my damn sources. I, I have a degree in history. I know this shit. <laughs> Don't use it, but I know how to cite a source. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's where the idea of, look, if they're in high emotion, neither of us is going to hear each other. And if we're both in high emotion, we are screwed. Because even as adults, although we have the ability to regulate through emotion, to communicate through high emotion, when all parties involved are at the brim of communicable speech, no one is listening to anyone. It's really mm -hmm. just, it's not just an emotion dump. It's an energy dump for kids, but adults reach that point too. So there are times where you need to emote here by yourself because mommy needs to emote over there. Yeah. And we shouldn't feel bad for that because a lot of people right. will say, no, you have to stay with your child, but not all of us are privileged with good mental health and emotional well-being, like 24, seven hours of the day, you know? Some of us do need to have a break and step away for a moment. Absolutely. I, I hate the demonization of screen time uh, because screens are, for us, one of the best ways to give each other a break. Because believe it or not, your kids sometimes need a break from you. Mm. Um, and so sometimes that mommy time out is good for them too, because it gives them space to begin that really hard process of learning how to self-regulate. We talk about it in sleep training of learning coping mechanisms, but then we magically forget about it once they've learned how to go to sleep. But no, no, no. Our job is to teach them how to self-regulate. And sometimes that involves time by themselves to see if they can work through it without mommy handholding. Yeah. Even adults like to do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but even like introverts, sometimes we just need a minute for everyone to leave us alone yeah. so we can just chill yeah. out. Part of, part of what I do is I, I run the Mama Cusses Facebook moms group and we get a lot of posts of my kids are driving me up a wall. They are intentionally being assholes. And they're always really quick to say, I know they're not intentionally being assholes. They're intentionally being 12, but <laughs> how dare they? <laughs> <laughs> but that's where that comes from is mom needs a timeout. Maybe kid needs a timeout. Once you're back to level, maybe you might not be done being mad because that anger may not resolve until you're able to discuss where that anger came from, but you at least have to get to level because if you're out of your skull, explosively mad, you can't actually figure out why you're mad. They can't figure out why you're mad. And then it just becomes the sick cycle of everybody feeding everything. Mm, yes. Very good <laughs> points. And, you know, it's okay to parent differently as well mm -hmm. you know it's okay mm -hmm. if you want to hold your baby it's okay if you want to breastfeed yeah. them to sleep it's okay if you for them to need you um you know us getting uncomfortable with their big emotions doesn't mean we have to fix their problem right and meet right. them where they're at that's what you need to focus on and then sometimes it's got nothing to do with them and all to do with you and like you said if you're finding yourself getting frustrated all the time or just at the drop of a hat, feeling that rage creep up, it's likely because you're running on empty and it's yeah. you that needs to start to focus on prioritizing yourself. Yeah, it's it's time for that self-care that we already talked about, which it's even more frustrating that even just determining what your self-care is takes work. God damn it. Can I not just put on a face mask? My good tip, <laughs> my good tip for that is um, your love language. Have you heard of the five love languages? 
Yes. Yeah. So use that. Um, if you're someone, you know, whether it's words of affirmation, physical touch, acts of service, receiving gifts, quality time, or you might be a mm-hmm. mix of those things, find the self-care activities based on your love language, because that's going yeah. to fill you up. That's what you like. So believe it or not, my love language is words of affirmation. I enjoy performing acts of service. And luckily I married a guy whose love language is acts of service. That's what he needs. What I need is words of affirmation. And that's why I got on TikTok. (laughs) Oh yeah, nice. (laughs) Well, because it gave me the positive feedback. I don't necessarily need you to type words, but show me hearts on a screen and I'm all right. That's so funny. I'll make sure to always fulfill that for you whenever I say that. (laughs) Thank you. That's funny you say that because I'm words of affirmation as well. But what I've realized is I'm words of affirmation in the sense that I like having conversations and like intellectual, Mm -hmm. like deep and meaningful conversations. Yeah. So I don't necessarily want to be told that I'm amazing because that makes me feel awkward. I want to have discussions and, you know, like engage in a conversation. That's what it is for me, which, you know, my husband isn't a big talker and his is physical touch. So we have to do a lot of work in our relationship to understand each other. Yeah, I I got incredibly lucky that the universe put, he enjoys giving words of affirmation and receiving acts of service. I enjoy giving acts of service and receiving words of affirmation. So we ended up like a one in a thousand match in that our love languages complement each other. Yeah, that's amazing. That's so good. All right. So I have one last question because we're just about out of time. We, I could go on this topic for hours. I'm, I might have to invite you on for like a part two in the coming months. Oh, I would um, love that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so one question, I didn't prepare you for this because I don't prepare anybody for this. Right. Um, if you had a megaphone plugged into every mom brain in the world and they had to listen to you, what is one thing you need moms all over the world to know or understand? You are enough. What you're Ooh. doing or not doing, you're still enough. And it doesn't make you a better mom than others. It doesn't make you a worse mom than others. We're all struggling with punamis and teenagers <laughs> that don't listen and toddler tantrums. And it's okay for you to want more and to take care of yourself. And I'm telling you right now, you need to go and take care of yourself. Yes. Yes. Go. If you're still listening to this podcast, if you've made it this far through the episode, when you take your headphones off or you turn your speaker off, I want you to go get something to drink. I want you to hydrate yourself and do one thing for yourself right right now. Like take your headphones off and go hydrate yourself and go do something for yourself. Yeah, like five minutes, five hours. Okay. Or maybe this podcast was your self-care. If uh, if that's true, you're welcome. (laughs) Glad to have been of service. (laughs) (laughs) All right, folks. That's all we've got. Crystal, thanks so much for coming on the Mama Cusses podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Gwenna. I hope that your audience has really taken a lot from this episode. We need to say thank you to our sponsors for their continued support and to the Fox sisters for the use of their song Stuck on You as the intro and outro of our podcast. Please be sure to hit up mamacusses.com for this week's show notes. Uh, If you have a suggestion for a topic you'd like to hear on Mama Cusses podcast, or if you would like to be a guest on the Mama Cusses podcast, drop me an email at mamacusses at gmail.com. Be sure to follow me on TikTok and Instagram. I'm Mama Cusses. Join the Mama Cusses Facebook group 
Uh, all of that link information is on mamacusses.com. You guys are the most awesome audience. I love you a whole bunch. And uh, that's it for this week. Stay fierce, bitches. <laughs>